Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to the Pocket Limp Podcast. Coming up on this Mobile World Congress special edition of the Pocket Link podcast, we look at the top devices launched during the trade show, talk about the emergence of rollable phones and laptops, discuss the Huawei Watch GT Cyber, a smartwatch with a removable face, and explain Qualcomm's plans for the future of mixed reality headsets and glasses. And we also reveal the Pocket Link product of the week, something we saw on the show floor. Hi there, I'm Rick Henderson and as the curtain falls on the MWC 2023 trade show, we will look at the biggest stories that emerged on this edition of the Pocket Lint podcast. This week, I'm joined by Pocket Lint's editorial director, Chris Hall, and deputy editor, Britro Boyle, who have both returned from Barcelona with noggins full of mobile goodness. Bit of a busy one for you this week. Pleased to have attended an actual real life in public trade show, Chris? Uh, yeah, it was nice to be back out there. Lots of people to see uh, a dramatic difference to the number of people who were there last year, obviously, because COVID had kept a lot of people away. Um, so, yeah, nice to actually be able to move around and and see many of the people involved in the industry. It was a bit different in Barcelona, wasn't it, Britt? It was a bit colder than normal. It was freezing. It was so cold. I Normally, it's sun, beautiful sunshine and it was absolutely freezing. <laughs> Did you go down the beach? <laughs> no, because I think you actually might have been uh, ice skating rather than uh, swimming. <laughs> no, it was very cold. <laughs> Hence why I now have a cold as well. Outrageous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't want that. You don't want that coming back from a trade show. I always get one coming back from trade shows. I don't know why. But it's the plane, isn't it? Right. Bad times. Excellent. Right. I don't know why I said excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Rick. <laughs> Now on with the MWC news. Although the rapid rise of foldable phones has been fun to observe, it seems manufacturers are wanting to take things a bit further. At Mobile World Congress, Motorola demonstrated its Riser Rollable Handset, a device that can grow the screen by unfurling its display at the touch of a button. Britta, you saw this. Did it impress you much? It did actually. Quite a few people were really quite excited when they did the demo for this. Um, it was obviously in a case, which uh, meant it was slightly, slightly different because you couldn't see exactly how it would work in a real world concept. But you could see the screen sort of go underneath at the back and then appear on the back end of the the device. So it was quite strange because all of a sudden it would just appear at the top and then slide back round and appear at the back. Um, but the top of it was quite thin so I could see I can see how that might be a slight issue in in if it becomes a reality in the real world case I like I, I like the name I thought that was actually really clever yeah um, well they did a riser didn't they 
in yeah. 2006, I think it was. 2006, I think, yeah. Yeah, um, where they where it slid up and I guess extended yeah. vertically like this one also does. So it makes sense given the Razor um, adopted previous name as well. So I like that. That's definitely quite cool. Although they didn't confirm it was called that. It was only because it had riser on the back of the screen when it expanded that we all assumed that was what it was going to be called. <laughs> <laughs> they'd, be, they'd be foolish not to, though, having yeah. brought back the razor um, as a foldable. Indeed. So, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, there was also another rollable device, essentially from the same company, because, of course, Motorola is, made, is, uh, is owned by Lenovo, so um, tell us a bit about the Lenovo rollable laptop. Yeah, so this this was uh, this was quite a surprise because I think the rollable phone had been um, previously sort of shown off in the past, whereas I think this one was actually new. Um, and it has, I think it expands from 50, no, 12.7 inches to 15.3 inches. And it you hit the switch, you hit a switch on the side and then it just appears. It keeps going up and up and up. And you, 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 as they do it, you think that it's going to topple backwards because it's very top heavy. Um, but actually, it didn't. It didn't move. It seemed perfectly happy sitting there with its very tall head. Um, but it was. It was interesting to see how the sort of they used it with a internet browser as the sort of on the screen and you could see how the page just expanded as you went up so you can see how for use cases if you're writing documents or you're doing code I suppose that it would actually be quite useful for that kind of use case but if you're watching movies then it would be the wrong ratio um it it kind of made sense to me for things like spreadsheets and things yeah. like that didn't it so I can yeah, see it more as a business case, uh, sort of like not, rather than consumer. Yeah, which kind of makes sense because Lenovo is quite businessy when it comes to their ThinkPads and stuff, isn't it? So, and it had ThinkPad was the um, branding on the top of it when it shut the lid. So, but they, there's de- they have said that there's definitely some things that need to be worked out with this. This was very much a first case prototype, I think, because. Um, often if you're working or whatever you need to move quickly you just slap your laptop shut and that would be that and off you'd go or you wouldn't be able to do that because it takes about 10 seconds <laughs> for, it to, for it to get back down again so you you would there definitely needs to be a little bit of speed increase I think in terms of it rolling out and rolling back. Uh, Chris do you think there will be a, a market for rollable devices in future? In the future Perhaps, but I'm a little bit concerned um, about the longevity of some of these things. Uh, and I know it, I know we're only at prototype stage at the moment, but I do keep looking at some of the folding phones and watching. You know, we're now in sort of fourth fourth generation folding phones from Samsung, for example, and I still know that people are having like screen delamination problems and things like that from opening and closing them. And if you're going to ask somebody to spend a lot of money on a rolling laptop, you need to know that it's going to last a long time. So there's going to be some technical barriers that need to be overcome first. It's a, it's a great demonstration of the technology. And I know that we've seen rolling displays for quite a long time. LG has spent a long time showing that you can take an OLED panel and flex it into all sorts of different shapes and styles. And they have their own massive rolling TVs. Um, I don't know what the longevity of those is like, but they're so big that they probably can have a lot more structure to them uh, when you take that down to the small smartphone scale it's a lot it's going to be a lot more challenging you know and it's... having it having any kind of display on 
the outside, it means that it's subject to all sorts of damage, environmental damage, scratching, anything else. Um, and then you need to have a case and then suddenly you've got a massive case on your massive rolling phone and you should have just got a bigger phone in the first place. The other difference with a TV, of course, is that you'll probably roll it up once a day at most and down again once a day. Whereas yeah. with a phone, it's constant. You put it back in your pocket, get it back out again, put it, put it back. Putting it in your pocket is definitely the key as well, though. It, it yeah. does raise this question, though, of like, are you, are you ever using your phone and you think, oh, actually, I could do with this being slightly bigger? You press a button and it's slightly bigger. You think now it's slightly bigger. You know, if Double you want, if you're a, if you're a small phone person, you get a small phone. If you're if you need more space, you get a larger phone. Um, it solves a small piece of the problem, which is how you how well it fits in your bag or how well it fits in your pocket. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting showcase. In, in, interesting interesting case um, showcase of the technology, but I think there's some way from seeing this actually happen. This is true. Also, when you put it in your pocket, the that is exactly where the weak point would be because the, that is where the squeak, right, screen yeah. rolls round. So typically you would put your phone in your pocket that way down. So you essentially would be sort of setting it up yeah. for scratching immediately as soon as it goes in. So they definitely, there's definitely some things that need to be addressed before that becomes a reality. That's kind of why I like point. the flip phones because yeah. you can fit that it's in protected. your pocket, but it's protected. Completely. Yeah. 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 Um, Huawei also demonstrated another interesting form factor for a common smart device in the form of the Huawei Watch GT Cyber. Not only can you change the watch band, but the face can be removed entirely from its casing and put into a new design. How's it work in practice, Britt? Again, it's another one you saw. It is. Um, yeah, so this is actually quite an interesting one. Unfortunately, it's not going to be available anywhere but China and Southeast Asia at the moment, which is a little bit of a shame because it's, cool, it's a cool concept. But you essentially click it out with your thumbs. So it's like you push it out and you push it back in again. When you push it back in and it's correct, it, a little LED ring appears around the edge of the display so you can tell that it's in properly. It's actually a very reassuring click as well. So it's, it's quite it's quite nice. It feels quite nice, but you change the. It's weird because you, typically on smartwatches you change the strap and they have everyone has all of them have sort of the pins that you flick or you yeah. push or whatever depending on what brand to get the straps changed. But these cases are they're molded together, so the strap and the case cannot be separated. So if you've got one, you have that entire in 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 its entirety. You also the watch face on the on the device itself will change based on the case that you've put on, which I thought was quite cool. So at least then it sort of, it acknowledges that something might be a slightly different look or whatever, and then it will adapt based on that. But they are, it's, it's a nice idea and it, it seems to be like a fully fledged, like decent package underneath as well. So you get like a decent screen, you get the de like some good specs from them. They've got some good um, health monitoring tech and stuff inside their smartwatches. So you get all of that. So it's a it's a flag flagship smartwatch. It's meant to be similar to the Huawei Watch GT three, I believe it's called. Yeah, not the Pro, but the standard model. So it's the same spec as that, but with the interchangeable case. I suppose. Are they planning on releasing new watch faces, i.e., the actual device itself, without so that you could buy that? in future like an upgraded version without having to buy the band again and therefore keep the cost down 
Oh, I'm that would that would make I mean, sense to me. That would make sense. I presume because you can typically when Apple upgrade their software, you get new faces and and the although sometimes they are exclusive to certain models because it will depend on yeah. the outside and they might work with the models that stretch the screen slightly to the edge. But I can't imagine that they wouldn't update the faces. That makes sense. I, I, I meant the actual entire device. Like the, oh, the actual the device. So so you bought you buy it with the band and yeah. you've got your favourite band already and you've paid yeah. for the band. Yeah. Will will they say the GT Cyber two, could you buy it just as the round bit that you click into the band? I mean that would that would be the nice thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's maybe not the best in terms of making money, but that would be the I mean Apple have Apple have offered the same they they've offered compatibility since the beginning of the Apple Watch, which yeah. I think most people were actually quite surprised about initially. And now if they change that up, I think everyone would be really quite upset because if you've built a yeah. collection of straps, you'd be gutted. With the Huawei watch, you you actually get two in the box. So you get two separate case options with the right, straps. Yeah. And then there's like another six or there's another four that you can then buy on top of that, I think. So there's six in total. Um, but obviously, w- w- I did ask the question as to whether they might consider doing accessories because Fitbit originally, when they launched the Flex, I want to say it was, might be wrong, but I think it's the Flex, where they launched it with um, a designer, um, a jewellery designer, and you could have it on a necklace. And I w- and we were sort of that saying, makes... oh, you could have it as a pocket watch. Obviously, mm. I mean, you still got to take it out and whatever, but to have it as a pocket watch or to have it as something that's a little bit more exciting that's not on your wrist, then there's definitely some potential there. It's just about whether or not they do it. I mean, they launched, they did a fashion design designer collaboration for the P50 Pocket, so for the phone. So that I don't see any reason why they couldn't do it for a watch as well. It makes more sense. It does, that makes phone. a hell of a lot of sense. You yeah. kind of get the feeling that if it was from Samsung, for example then that would already be an option. That would already, yeah. there'll be a whole selection of different accessories. Yeah, and, missed and, opportunity, and I would say, for now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll move on to our next story. As Qualcomm also made a few announcements during MWC, including the growing support for its Snapdragon satellite platform, which we'll touch on a bit later in this podcast. It also put more flesh on the bones of Snapdragon spaces, its plans for the future of mixed reality headsets. Chris, what exactly is Snapdragon Spaces and what does it mean for the consumer? Well, I first heard about Snapdragon Spaces last year and Qualcomm were kind of pitching it as a developer program. And that's really that's really what it is. It's a developer program for firstly augmented reality, but then moving into sort of virtual reality as well. And so they they apply the name um, extended reality so it covers everything whichever type of reality you're experiencing it's extended and that's and that's through a full range of different headsets and a whole load of different um, device styles the idea is to pull everything together into one place so you kind of have one development path with all the support that you need along that route um, and the guy who actually runs the program at Qualcomm told me that this was about reducing fragmentation that they didn't want to go into this with everybody doing little bits and pieces, and then you you come to the you come to the final product, and you've got all of these things on the market, and every single experience is is different, and nothing works, and nothing else. Um, so Snapdragon Spaces was designed to pull all of those things together, give people the tools that they need to to develop 
both the hardware, give them all the software support they need and, you know, make it easy for people to develop content. Because ultimately, all of these things are going to be about content and the use cases. You know, the hardware side of it has kind of been resolved. And, and you know, Qualcomm has done that over several generations of hardware, making it smaller, making it more power, more power efficient so that you can make lightweight glasses that support all sorts of different things in mixed reality. And now we're at the point where really we need people to pull together, produce the content, make viable use cases, and off we go. Snapdragon Spaces will then have been a huge success and everybody will be virtually happy. (laughs) (laughs) For everyone apart from Apple. Well, I suspect that Apple has helped to focus the mind of everybody else working in the industry because you know that Apple will be a huge huge deal for consumers because it will come together and launch as a complete product Whereas so much of what we've seen so far through through virtual reality and mixed reality from mobile phone manufacturers, you know, and people around that sphere of, of the industry, they've all felt kind of like prototypes, like they do a little bit and they don't go much further. And we're still really in that position. Uh, Xiaomi launched a headset, which is working with Snapdragon Spaces, but it's called the... Uh, it, what's it called? It's called like the Developer Edition or the Explorer Discovery yeah. Edition or something Discovery like that. Edition. It's, yeah, it's it's clear that it's not a final consumer product yet. They still intend this to be sold to developers to keep developing things. And I suspect that when Apple makes their announcement, we'll be a lot further down the path. There'll be a lot more content. There'll be a lot more use cases because they're going to ask people to go out and spend a lot of money. And I suspect that they will do very well out of this. But but one of the things that's happening here is that that Qualcomm is enabling a new way of these things working together. Um, And one of the important things is allowing wireless glasses to work with your smartphone. And the OnePlus OnePlus 11 is actually the first, what they're calling spaces-ready smartphone. And then when the Xiaomi 13 launched as well, that's also compatible. And that means that if you have spaces-ready glasses, you'll just be able to connect to them wirelessly. You know, and so far we haven't seen that. We've always had, you know, you connect it by USB and it's a bit uncomfortable and it's it's not, not the best thing. So this is really... it. You can see the benefits of the system coming through already, but we're still we're still on the developer side. We're still not at the consumer end of it yet. They will everybody will say that you can go out and buy this stuff now if you really want it. But from what I've experienced, I don't know if anybody will want it yet. It's just they just don't have the content in place to make it a really exciting proposition. Well, it's been a long time since Google's glasses. And yet we don't seem to have moved on very much since then. It seems to be, and also the concepts that I have seen, the glasses concepts, look remarkably similar to Google Glass in certain respects. It's that same kind of idea. Yeah, and I mean, Google Glass was was a breakthrough product in many ways, and it raised a lot of useful questions like, what's the situation with privacy? That was the thing that people were most concerned about. You're going around with a camera on your face, and there are several other examples of that. I think... um, is a snap who have their own glasses as well yeah. that that and the ray-ban that, ones yeah it raises that question of privacy that people are going to have to decide whether they're happy with it or not are these cameras on the front of those glasses recording everything all the time as you're walking around if you go into a shop and order something does the person behind the counter then find themselves being you know having their privacy violated because of that um and how is that different to the way that people are using smartphones at the moment there are lots of those sorts of questions that come up, uh, especially when it comes to taking these glasses out in public. Um, and and they're, they're questions that things like PSVR 2 doesn't encounter because that's yeah. 
you know single function it's about gaming whereas all of these other devices are going to they're going to try and make it easier to navigate the you know the tube network or they're going to help you when you're doing your shopping on all of these kinds of things it's there's a lot of very smart stuff that can be done, but the the big question is going to be whether people accept it, whether they will allow that to come into their lives. I think uh, that kind of sums it up quite su- sufficiently. So finally, you can't have a mobile World Congress without the, well, you know, mobiles. And this year we saw the launch of several, including the Xiaomi 13 series, the Honor Magic 5 Pro and the global edition of the Magic VS Foldable, plus the Nokia G22 fixable handset and the Realme GT3 with its 240 watts charging. Chris, which of these impressed you most and was it just completely dominated by Chinese manufacturers this year? Well, in a word, yes, it was. Lots of people seem to have been breaking out of these these shows. Samsung launched some time ago. Samsung used to be the sort of cornerstone of mobile Nobel World Congress. They had that big launch on on Sunday evening, which is obviously they do it two or three weeks before now. So it did kind of feel as though the actual mobiles were sort of missing. It's I mean the the, the phone that I've spent the most time is with is the Nokia G twenty two, and I've seen and the the big sell there is about repairability. Uh, and I have seen that just be cracked open so that they could change the battery. And that took less than five minutes. And a replacement battery is not very expensive at all. So it takes that takes mobile phones into a new direction of saying this is potentially something that we could do in the future. The irony about this Nokia phone, and it pains me to say, it, is that although you can change bits of the hardware, they're only offering two OS updates on it. So within a couple of years, the software is going to be out of date anyway, and then you'll have no security. So not as sustainable as they actually would hope. No, so it's physically physically sustainable, but uh, digitally, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Britta, any other devices that impressed you? I saw the GT3, actually, the Realme GT3, which is basically a carbon copy of the... GT Neo 5 that they launched in China a couple of weeks ago. But it is quite cool. It's, I mean, the super speedy charging. Hilariously, someone actually asked when they were going to do faster charging. I was like, come on, it's <laughs> 9.5 minutes, I think it can charge from flat to full. I mean, do you really need it to be faster than that? At, at what point do you go that's fast enough? Do you know what I mean? It's a bit, bit ridiculous. But nine, um, it, it does sort of I think it it does like a significant it's very quick obviously and it's also got this like pulse interface design thing on the back which is a probably a little bit of a gimmick if you are being thingy but if you're being fair or honest rather but it it makes it makes for something slightly different which I always like because otherwise it it becomes very difficult to write hands-on because you're essentially saying the same thing (laughs) all the time Um, and that that little pulse thing will change color based on certain things that you're doing like if you get social media interactions or um the charging it it changes based on the charging so when it's full it it stays purple i believe and when it's charging from 21% to 100% it flashes purple um so there's like a few things on it and there's a camera countdown which is actually the one thing i could see might be quite useful because if you've got your phone held up and you can see when it flashes and stops flashing, you know it's going to take the photo so you know then to smile so your cheeks don't hurt which is great <laughs> um but no so that's one that I saw the most of because um, the others, I believe, Verity, the reviews editor, she did honour. So she saw more of that one than I did. But I thought I thought it was quite cool. But yes, as Chris said, like it, it was the Chinese 
manufacturers that dominated this year because some of the others, Samsung obviously was earlier, Sony hasn't done theirs yet and they used to be an MWC launch for their products. So it's a bit of a shame to see some of them missing, I think, from the show. It means that it's a little bit quieter, but hey-ho, what can you do? Also, also, Apple generally tries to hijack the show in some way in tradition (laughs) over the years, and it didn't this year. It didn't. There was nothing from Apple this year, which was quite extraordinary. You normally get a press release just saying, "Oh, and we've dropped the iPhone SE," (laughs) and everybody goes, "Right, forget everything else. This is the this is the news." But it didn't. Um, So, uh, so that was that was something. Uh, It has been. A show that was interesting but starved of big stories. I think that was that was my take on it. And yeah. uh, and there you go. That was the news. Now on to our pocket limp product of the week. Naturally, as it's an MWC special, we'll choose something connected. Literally, Chris, it's your choice this week. So let's find out what's the pocket limp product of the week. Right, Chris, down to you. <laughs> well, I've gone off well off the beaten track with this one because I have picked the uh, the Motorola Defy Satellite Link, which is not a mobile phone. It is basically a satellite hotspot, which you can connect to your phone via Bluetooth that will then give you satellite connectivity. The the Aim here is to provide a connection in places where other phones cannot connect you, uh, and it and the surprising thing about it is, it's it's affordable. Nineteen, like you pay around ninety nine dollars, ninety nine pounds for the actual hardware. You would need a subscription to get all of the services, but it's a it's an affordable way to get satellite connectivity that gives you a little bit more freedom than. You know the existing solution from Apple, which which will do the emergency services stuff, which this will do. But this also gives you uh, an, a limit for or a, a limited amount of text messaging that you can do as well. And the, and the good thing is that it's it's because it's Bluetooth, it's it will work with any device. You just have to set it up, connect it to your phone, and then off you go. So if you want to, you know, you, you go mountain walking, climbing, fishing, whatever, wherever. You can you can stay in contact in contact with people in contact with loved ones, make sure they know where you are and what you're doing, um, and this is a real it's kind of a it's kind of a breakthrough product. This kind of thing hasn't been done in this way before. There have been some other devices like Garmin Inreach, things like that. There of course have been satellite phones, but they're prodigiously expensive. You know they're they're for the for the people who really need to stay connected like billionaires and special forces and <laughs> yeah. oil workers <laughs> but um but this is this is part of a, a a new shift in the industry where we're seeing that transition from mobile phones and connectivity that's restricted to a terrestrial cellular network and basically finding a way to get rid of dead spots across the whole globe and this the interesting thing about this one is it's using a new a new spectrum and, and you know and it's a new protocol that has been established by the people who who run the networks and, and manage all of that three gpp and it's called uh, non-terrestrial networks of course which sounds exciting because it's a bit like et 
and all of that business. Uh, and so they call them NTNs. And these are the, the sort of bands that you're going to use to be able to connect to satellites to, to do some of this communication. Interestingly, that's not the only solution that's going to be out there. And one of the other things that I looked at at MWC was called uh, Snapdragon Satellite, which is Qualcomm's solution to bring in satellite connectivity to more smartphones in a similar way to Apple. But they're using the Iridium network, which is a network of existing satellites in space. Um, so a slightly different approach. Exactly how that will be implemented, we don't yet know. But for this Motorola device, it's going on sale. You'll be able to go out and buy it. You can connect to it. You can send text messages from places that would have been completely cut off before. Um, Which is so, excellent. Yeah, it's excellent. It's also it's exceptionally lightweight as well. It's not like a big chunky bit of kit. It's, you know, you can, you'll just be able to throw it in any bag. And, you know, when you go out hiking and stuff like that, it'll be, it'll be ready to provide you with that service. So, yeah, surprisingly, I, I was surprisingly drawn to it, attracted to it, even though it was, you know, perhaps not the biggest thing that, that was announced. Uh, it reminded me of like a next next generation mobile hotspot. Yeah. Because the, the device is just a small device that you can chuck, then that you can just travel around with. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's exactly that. I mean, there are so many things in here that from, from a safety perspective, like it has a huge SOS button on the side of it, which is orange, of course, because it has to be orange. <laughs> um, and that will, that will provide a great safety feature for people. All of these things are working in the same way. And if you know anything about Apple's solution where you have to point your phone at the sky and hook up with the satellite and follow the diagrams and then everything is sent backwards and forwards in bursts and it's not not the same experience as sending messages through you know, your normal messaging service. It's, it's a slower, it's more deliberate. You know, There's a lot more going on. And all of these things are similar to that. Every, everything that I've seen on satellite so far is going to be similar. You have to point, point you know, the device has to have clear access of the sky you have to make sure that you get connected. Then there'll be a very quick transmission of your message that will go out, be relayed back to the earth in the right place to deliver to the, the right person. And then the whole process reverses to then bring back, to drop this thing back to you. All of which will take some time rather than just it being a constant stream of WhatsApp messages. You know, there's no pictures at the moment. You can't send videos, no photos, no selfies of yourself saying, I'm here in the middle of nowhere, help. But we'll get uh, there. But we will probably get there in the future. And it is essential for you know, people who may be in a trouble spot who who need help. Yes. Who just need that contact, say mountain climbers. Yeah, people people who go off the beaten track. Um, and in Europe, there is slightly less of that. But in North America or Australia, you can find yourself a long way from all other civilization. You know, n no connection, nothing, and this will this will keep you connected. If you see the sky, you can get a message out. Excellent. Did they say how much it would be? This is about it's it's around the sort of ninety nine ninety nine dollars mark, I think, and then the subscription costs on the top of that. I believe they're selling a bundle. I don't want to give the wrong price, but it's not much more than that. So one hundred and forty nine dollars, perhaps, and then that gives you thirty messages. A month but i'm not 100 certain on that excellent do you know when it actually do you know when it's going to be available roughly uh it is going to be available from q2 2023 so soon that's not that's not soon. far away you know when it when the weather gets a little bit warmer 
please. Let's all go climb a mountain. <laughs> yeah. And text each other. <laughs> yeah, and you'll, you'll, and, you'll, and you'll be able to do that. Like, you'll be able to use this to hook, up, hook yourself up with pe- other people who are in these wide open spaces who are also completely offline apart from a satellite link. And you'll be able to send them a message like, have you got any biscuits or whatever? <laughs> a Kendall's mint cake. Cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was the uh, Pocket Limp product of the week. So that's it for this episode of the Pocket Limp podcast. Huge thanks to Chris. Thank you. And Britt. Thank you. Please join us again next time and also visit pocketlint.com for all the tech and games news, reviews, buyer's guides and roundups from the entire team. Plus, you can also sign up to our daily newsletter, which will deliver current stories and more to your email inbox each weekday. Until then, please give us your feedback on the PocketLint socials or podcast platform of your choice. I've been Rick Henderson. Catch you next time. <laughs>